saying to yourself, is it a bad idea to record while you drive around? Yeah, it is. Good job. You. Welcome to the show. I'm assuming the tens of people who are listening to this have heard me on other podcasts or have seen me doing improv comedy shows or something. But if not, nice to meet you. My name's Ben. I'm a writer and sometimes actor in Los Angeles. And right now I'm driving a van over to my friend Patrick Walsh's house. I met Pat at a bachelor party in Vegas and it quickly became apparent that we both had seen a shit ton of movies and also that he was a much better gambler than I was. Thought it'd be nice to kick off the show with him for a bunch of reasons. First off, he's a hilarious guy. He's a longtime comedy writer. He's got a horror movie podcast called We'll See You in Hell. He also knows movies. He used to work at a blockbuster when he was in high school. I myself also tried to work at a blockbuster, but they rejected me. I think I might have failed their psych test or something. I never got the call back from Blockbuster. And most importantly, he's my neighbor. So if this van breaks down, I won't have far to walk. We've got a wild movie from 1991 that should give us a whole hell of a lot to talk about. All right, I better get back to the road. We'll be back with Pat in a second. So I did come over. I brought one of my old VHS tapes. Okay. Caller One, which we watched. Yes. And it's from 1991. It's an erotic thriller, I guess, in the mold of Fatal Attraction came out before this. This came out in 91. Fatal Attraction was, what, 89? So... Yeah, it's like if if Frasier Crane was involved in a in a erotic thriller. Yeah, it's sort kind of. of evil. It's evil Frasier Crane. It's yeah. These, this was the genre of the blank from hell. So you get the roommate from hell, the cop from hell. Right. This is the self help radio DJ from hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is not Doctor Laura, folks. Mm-hmm. I know many people claim that she is she what she's a bigot. Dr. Laura, is that her thing? I haven't kept up with Dr. Laura. Is she the Loveline host or is that somebody else? Well, let's briefly talk about the history of this medium. I mean, when I was a kid, I watched Loveline mm-hmm. with Dr. Drew and Adam Do- Carolla. Yes. Okay. Dr. Drew, that's Loveline. Loveline, but that was more early yeah, 2000s. That was late 90s, early 2000s. And it was right. a lot of like teens asking about sex. Yeah. Uh, and it was like a little bit like, cheeky because it was like i want to give my boyfriend a blowjob but i'm scared will it move weird yeah that's probably the biggest one of these types of shows what's the call-in show that i'm thinking of that i assume is the the inspiration for caller one it's um it used to be on in the bodega whenever i'd go shopping in new york it was it was a nationally syndicated radio show and it was with like delilah delilah yes it was delilah and either Delilah or Dr. Laura, I don't know the timeline, probably inspired Sleepless in Seattle, which is a Absolutely. light comedic version on this type of thing. That movie, you know, you never see the Dr. Laura character. But basically what Caller 1 is, is if, you know, Meg Ryan called in mm. and 
Or actually, it would be flipped. It would be Tom Hanks calling in because his son calls in and sleeps in Seattle. That's true. Says my dad needs a man. So it would be Tom Hanks calling in the woman saying like, "Hey, why don't you meet up with me?" And then she winds up being crazy. Honestly, kind of the premise of Play Misty for me, but reversed. Have you yeah. seen that movie? I have seen Play Misty for me. I I, I will also throw in because um, that's Clint calling a radio show. Yeah, Clint Clint is a jazz DJ. And, and a woman calls in, says, play Misty yeah. for me, and becomes smitten with him. It's a reverse play Misty for yes. me in a lot of ways. And um, and Clint, of course, that's how you get him with the jazz. Right. He was a hot commodity. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. and as we all know from watching Gran Torino, he's got a beautiful voice. Gran Torino. That was one of the craziest music choices in film history. Yeah. Yeah, it's up there. Did I ever tell you my story of seeing Gran Torino? No. It's very brief. Okay. I was visiting New York. I didn't live there. I lived in LA. And I was uh, visiting. There was a uh, WGA screening of Gran Torino. Mm-hmm. And my friend was stuck at work till late. And I was like, I'll just go to this Oscar screening of Gran Torino. And the movie starts. It's about five minutes in. Door opens, flooding the screening room with light. And it is a wildly drunk Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, wow stumbling in he was cackling throughout Gran Torino <laughs> which is a funny movie you know it's you know like his racism is that like there's a comedic element to it mm. for the Trump crowd yeah but it's also funny just as a ironically funny yeah yeah and man he was laughing so hard and it was that's how I choose to remember PSH yeah I wish you were a little closer to him so you could have told that story at his memorial <laughs> service <laughs> yeah that was sad you know I I remember where I was when Philip Seymour Hoffman died I was at Six Flags my buddy Ian and I were walking into Six Flags and he goes holy shit Philip Seymour Hoffman died and like 20 20- 20 people came running over to us like it was crazy when um when uh kobe bryant died i was about the the popular basketball the the basketball player i was i was hiking in griffith park in los angeles and a guy turns to me and my friends who are hiking with me and says did you hear about kobe and we're like (laughs) what Uh no and he's like he's dead and then he walked away like, like beaming, beaming, like, <laughs> like he was the first to break news. People and like being the first. I didn't to tell know what him. the fuck he was talking about. He, like, he was so happy. I was like, is he talking about Kobe beef? Like, what the fuck is he? Like, yeah. Yeah. I only remember a few. I remember John Candy because my mom got mad at me for crying more than I did when my grandpa died. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, sorry, probably knew him better. And, um, then in recent years, Tom Petty and Prince and Michael Jackson, Dave Bowie. No, Bowie, I don't remember where I was. Okay. Sir, I mean, if I was just sitting at home and I see it on Twitter, yeah. that's not memorable. Right. I was leaving a, a comedy show and, yes. and and had just crushed it and feeling great. Of course. And I got in my car, started it up, and the DJ came on almost instantly. It was like, oh, man, this is really sad news. David Bowie just died. And then he played my whole 15-minute drive just straight David Bowie. And I uh-huh. went from like the high of just like doing a, feeling like I did a good job to just like feeling <laughs> like really depressed. Yeah. Yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman had. Um, he, I, he's one of my favorite celebrity run-ins because I was on. I, I was living in New York at the time, mm-hmm. and I was on like the fucking A train or something. Mm-hmm. And at Forty Second Street, he gets on, and the cr- crowd. The the train is fairly full. 
Yeah. And there's a guy standing next to me holding like a strap hanger and he's he does a huge comedic double take. This is a, a, like a 70s New Yorker. This is like a character on uh-huh. uh, Taking the One, Pelham 123. Okay. Like it doesn't seem like he should exist in New York anymore. Like right. he's a, a, an anachronism. Okay. And so he looks at Philip Seymour Hoffman, eyes bugging out of his head, and he goes, Who are you? I know you. <laughs> and Philip Seymour Hoffman, very sober at this point, uh-huh. as problematically sober, just yeah. looks at his feet and says, um, Yeah, I'm an actor. And he's like, from what? And then we got to maybe 34th Street and Philip Seymour Hoffman just gets off the train. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you always see Keanu Reeves on the subway and stuff, and it's like, okay, you want to be seen as a man of the people, but you also, you know what you're getting into if you're doing that. So speaking of man of the people, yeah, the star of Caller One, Dr. Bob, played by Sal Hershey, Related to Barbara Hershey? That's a possibility. You know what's a fact that people forget, speaking of unknown brothers and sisters? Did you know Warren Beatty and Shirley MacLaine are yeah, brother and sister? I didn't know that. I feel like many of, of our peers are unaware. He, because he would bring her up as like a possible. Yes. Like, hey, you probably should use my sister for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it wasn't a hidden thing. Right. Same with Julia and Eric. They helped each other out a little bit. You can see it, but you can't imagine Julia having ever taking a sip of alcohol, and Eric Roberts, you can't imagine him ever being so. It makes you realize how good an actor Julia Roberts is that she can fully cover up that upbringing (laughs) that she had. The skis just under the surface, yeah. I I feel like this guy usually plays second bananas, and he's a little miscast as this. They threw glasses on him to try to make him seem a little bit more refined. Yeah, this was his one leading role. The gross is, you know, pretty much... Confirmed that there would not be a second. It wasn't a smash hit. But when people talk about this genre, and a lot of people, I think lately, have a lot of affection for erotic thrillers because sex is gone from the movies. It's just gone. You and I saw Babylon last week. Mm -hmm. There was some some sex in that, but... um, Played for laughs. Played for laughs. Yeah, just not... It's never meant to titillate. I can't imagine sitting in a theater now for like an intense sex scene because yeah. it seems like it would just get laughs. There's one in this uh, between um, Dr. Bob and Sandy, his love interest, um, where they they fuck in an empty bathtub yeah, or jacuzzi, I guess, like a, a hot tub. I, I don't know what happened there. It's like the, the, the heat of a jacuzzi romp is the bubbles, the, yeah. the steam. The- so without any of that, like... It, it, You're imagining that they're they're rubbing their genitals on like recently bleached mm-hmm. tile. They kind of have fun with it and talking about like, is this where you take all your women? Well, not when it's like empty like this. Yes, and and then they go at it anyway, and they change the the music and and the lighting, and I mean they you. Sp- today's audience isn't used to how long you stay with them during so it. So long, and for me, why not remove the squeaks? The, in the tile of the like it had, you know they had just cleaned the bathtub obviously the yeah. jacuzzi but as you know when you run your finger on a recently cleaned tub it right. makes a kind of sound yeah and so he, while they're fucking it's like it also seemed like they added it in after like they got a fully artist to do that to add some reality added to sounds. it yeah uh, this is directed by uh, a guy named griffin tory the only th- other thing i've seen him do 
I can't remember the name of it. It was, maybe you've seen it. It's that movie where the government experiments with a bunch of dogs and then the dogs all get out and they enter like a, a sled dog race and they like fucking win. So like you- th- I did not see that. So okay. That- they're dogs, and they are like mutated dogs. I've never even heard. Yeah, of this they're movie. genetically altered. I've seen dogs. Man Bites Dog with Ali Sheedy, which is like a, a mecha yeah. dog. Robot yeah, there's dog. Man Bites Dog. There's um, Beethoven. Of there's course. Cujo, a, of course. Book, Beethoven. Yeah. It's more in the Beethoven school, I guess, because like it starts off like Man Bites Dog. Is that the one with the Rottweiler with the fucking like the? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's so, Man Bites Dog meets Snow Dogs, is what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Paul yeah. Walker Snow Dogs. So it starts Keep off. Good Junior Snow they're, Dogs. They're all they're all being experimented on by the military yes. to like I don't know fucking right. like run wild or whatever the fuck the plan is. Yeah. I don't know. When they escape, you think they're going to go on a rampage and it's going to be a Cujo situation. And you're going to have to get some like hunter to take them all out. But instead, they get mixed up with this sled dog because it's like in Alaska. Like right. it's, it's like a fucking. Bear, like nestled away in the middle of nowhere, um, experimental compound. Like the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, they're doing crazy shit there and they don't want it to get out. Right. Um, so then the the tension is they do, the government does hire this hunter to take them out, but he ends up getting one over, seeing them stride on the, the, the like I did a rod or whatever. Right. People don't realize this, but uh, a few years after that film, Cool Runnings, was actually adapted from the same source material. They just changed okay. it from I didn't know that from uh, demonic dogs to Jamaicans. And the uh, the writer is this guy, um, another man. Sorry, it's nineteen ninety one. Uh, it's Steve Goodwin, um, who mostly did TV. He didn't do a lot of he didn't do a lot of film work. He did a, he did a short lived. Um, it was about half a season ABC show called Twilight Squad. It was a cop show. Um, I've never seen it. Uh, you can find the beginning on YouTube. I have not seen Twilight Squad either. Is that like a uh, like vampire cops or something, or what's the deal? I think it's like they do like weird occult shit in LA type stuff, like trying to infiltrate. Like, can you find anything on YouTube? I, you can just kind of piece together stuff from yeah. the beginning, which is on YouTube, but not a full episode. So it's like, I guess Miami Vice, but more like. Like I late seventies, early eighties, kind of like culty hippie shit. Okay, the comedy attempts in Caller One are yeah. its weakest link. Yeah, and I get like this guy's going out of his comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, I was also never convinced that Sandy, played by uh, Denise Michaels, you, you know, um, you got to tell us the plot of this movie. Okay, first. yeah, okay. So yeah, let's let, kind of break it down. We we People, yeah, I mean, you touched on it a little bit. People Basically, likely have not seen Caller no, One. It's hard no. to find. And we will spoil it. So, yes. like, these endings all kind of have a reveal and a red herring along the way. They're, right. they're light mysteries. Right. Um, Sandy, uh, played by Denise Michaels, she's driving, beautiful, by the way, way out of the league of Doctor. Oh, any really, any of the men in this movie she seems too good for. Yes. She runs a flower business, and she's driving her... Fucking dope Denise truck. Michaels, by the way, mm-hmm. famously played Patricia Bateman in American Psycho 3. Oh, wow. I don't know if you saw that. I have not seen. I bailed that too. Uh, they're not good, 
but it's worth checking out. Like she works, she works in the direct to video okay, circuit. Okay, but so she but she's still out there working as an actor. She's out. She's one of she's one of those like Barbara Crampton who I think just has a she's going to do nudity yeah, clause yeah, and, and, and therefore goes to festivals is and stuff working yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah. What did, what did you think of her truck also? Like her general vibe I thought was pretty cool because like one thing about living in LA is you can have these classic cars forever. Yeah. I don't think I can't realistically see like her seeking out some classic truck. It was a big truck. I just can't see her working on it. She does. I know women who are into classic cars and yeah. like they know their shit because like your car breaks down and stuff. Like right. I can't see her doing that with this. And it also seems like her work car because she's running a flower business. Yeah. And well, there's that. I mean, it's it's simply too big a vehicle to drive in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I guess to sort of get you on her side the opening scene is seemingly seven eight minutes of her trying to parallel park this yeah thing. there are better ways to get you on your lead character's side than than watching her parallel park while she's parallel parking it cuts back to her husband who is fucking somebody else right now i appreciate that they don't give us the surprise of her walking in and like catching this guy i'm glad we see it beforehand and it sets up a little tension is she gonna catch him or is it going to take her so fucking long parallel parking this truck that this dude is going right. to fucking finish? Well, it's similar to the end of Sopranos. And I think David, David Chase, Chase stole something from Caller One. If asked, yeah. He's I'd, a cinephile. I'd like to see him asked about that because the, the cross-cutting between her, every time she bumps into the curb, we see him thrust into his mistress. You know, and it's that kind of aggressive cross-cutting that I think yeah. Chase did at the end. And again, it's a parallel parking scene with Meadow. So he might say, oh, caller one, I never heard of it. I have my doubts. Because it's not the only similarity yeah. between the greatest television show of all time and caller one. Mm -hmm. There's other ones in there. Yeah. Even the look of her husband is a kind of Tony Soprano look. They do a similar Wife move that theater. they do in, like, um, I would say The Fly, where, like, they present this guy as, like, you kind of don't like him at first, but ultimately he's the hero of the movie because he, yeah. like, helps her stop Dr. He's, like, one of the few people to believe her. Right. But he's fucking, I guess she was his secretary, um, another kind of mismatched couple where, like, but also sets the bar for how sexually explicit this movie is going to be. Yeah. Where... So, and again, mm -hmm. I, I keep interrupting you. It's my own fault. No, no, no. But the the, the one-liner, you know, if you were looking at the Cinemax, uh, you know, channel guide, mm -hmm. it would say a woman learns her husband is cheating, calls a radio sex advice show. Oh, it's worth it. Oh, sorry. And now I'm interrupting you. Please. It's worth pointing out while she's parallel parking, she's got Dr. Bob on the radio and she's listening and she's laughing. For sure. Like, yeah. And that's like fucking up her parking job a little bit. Well, she's laughing, but she's also saying like, I, I'm so glad I'm in such a happy marriage that I'll never be one of these losers calling right. in. And you talked about the comedy not working. This is like real, where they really almost try to make us feel like we're watching like a Sleepless in Seattle or something. Where it's like we get this cavalcade of goofy characters calling and being like, oh, Dr. Bob, I yeah. um, just, I always take a shit every time I have sex. Yeah. And All he, voiced yeah. by the director. Yeah. I mean, when the they go, uh, you know, Betty in uh, Silver Lake, yeah. let's, and the guy's like, hello, yeah. you know, that. By the way, Robin Williams is known for kind of stealing stuff from people. He got that Mrs. Doubtfire. He got Mrs. Doubtfire from this 100%. The voice. 
But it works there in a, in a farce. It yeah. doesn't work here in a, in in a, a gritty Yeah, in a drama, thriller. yeah. But she calls this guy. Eventually, when she learns her husband is cheating, she calls Dr. Bob for advice. He says, dump the husband, and then basically becomes infatuated with her. He's He tells her to dump the husband. You know, he cheated, yes, yeah. but also Bob wants him mm-hmm. out of the picture because he wants her. Right. And they do, they, again, they kind they, they, it takes some twists and turns because you do think, if you're watching this in an era where there aren't ads and you're going blind to a movie, um, you might think this is just a romantic comedy because they have a bit of a meet cute after the call right. where they're both waiting at, and this takes place in LA, of yeah. course, and they're both waiting at some pretentious fancy restaurant and neither one of them gets seats. So they both wind up at the bar waiting. Right. And that's where she's like, holy shit, that's Dr. Bob. She recognizes because she's a fan. Recognizes his voice, yeah. 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 He orders, uh, and he's got, again, he's miscast. He does not sound like a radio no. host. He sounds like... When he, when he first turns to her, I mean, uh, that was our biggest laugh of the movie. Yeah. When she's listening and she's like, wait a minute. She thinks she recognizes this guy, and then he turns to her and goes, hello. Yeah. Like, that's how broad he plays it. Yeah. Hello. It's almost like Crypt Keeper, like British yeah. Crypt Keeper. Because yeah. this is not his normal voice. Like, he's putting on no. a voice. And when he carries that voice into the bedroom or into the drained jacuzzi, you know, it makes the sex scenes pretty disturbing. Uh, they used wisely a body double in the close-ups for him in the sex scenes um, because he is looking... He is very tanned. Like he is, he is like Charles Bronson, leather and salted, pockmarked. Yeah, the body they choose uh, too good. Again, elephant in the room. Too good, but also not his color. No, yeah. not in any way. Yeah, very, very strange choice. Yeah, maybe it was his color at one time. Right, but like, I feel like they they said let's take pictures of you nude so we can get you a good body double. And then he went. Then to he Mexico. goes on a Hawaiian yeah. vacation, and when he comes back, he's tan. And they said, "Well, this is who we got." Sorry, because well, I, I think that's what um, Michael Douglas did before Jewel of the Nile was like, yes. "Oh shit, I'm going to do some sex scenes. I'm going to Mexico. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a facelift and I'm getting a tan." Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what this they did, and like. I, you know, fucking Griffin Torre, God bless him, didn't have the the heart to to recast this body double, or maybe not the time. Yeah, and there's you know usually in these erotic thrillers there are different pairings. You know, like you're not mm-hmm. you're generally not watching one couple fuck over and over again. It's like you know, like in Basic Instinct, there's Gene Triplehorn, yeah. and there's side things going on. And this movie, every sex scene is long. It's pretty graphic, and they all involve Hershey. Yeah, it's it's you're you're seeing Hershey and his body double, I guess. There Sometimes. are some yeah, there are scenes of him like you do get like they're it's risque that you get a little bit cuz he's he's thin uh, like he's um he's thin. He doesn't look like like in shape. It looks like a smoker's thin. Yeah. I guess I would describe Frail. it. They get close to like showing the pubes. They don't go full frontal, yeah. but like low enough where you can see, I guess, like kids call them like cum gutters now. Like yeah. you can see some of that, the full butt, but I think the butt, like, I mean, what's weird is. I heard he insisted on the butt, on his own butt. It's his so. own butt, yeah. but th- that's when you, it really knocks you with the body double, like at the front where it's like, 
a little, I think a little bit more plump musculature on the body double. And again, completely different color. But Hershey is fucking everybody. Every sex scene in this, I thought at one point I was watching a threesome, a foursome, and you it winds up just being different shots of Hershey. Sometimes it, because I'm like, oh, that's a different man. Yeah. No, it's the body double. They always do a real tight close-up of Hershey's face for the comes. Every time he comes, we are right in there. We're not on the woman's face ever. And I got to say, that is really unusual for this genre. Yeah. Rarely it, see like a men's pleasure centered, you know? You never get that. It's very unusual. And it's him like, that, I mean, he's like grinding his teeth every yeah. time. Like, It's hard to look at. It's disturbing, but he's a passionate man. Yeah, and you, and this is kind of, there's always the reveal in these movies of like, okay, Dr. Bob's not who you think he is. And he does fuck a sex worker and then has her pretend to be caller one, which is kind of like the first, and, and through, I mean, kind of his degrading kinks, like you start to be like, okay, Maybe he's not the friendly, helpful guy you can trust on the airways. Of course. But we're seeing stuff that she does not. Mm. So it's the classic kind of suspense scenario of we're seeing this woman be charmed by this guy, and then we see him in his day-to-day life be just a complete sociopath. Yeah. So we're worried for her, and it eventually builds into sort of this cat and mouse. She destroys it. He, he tries to destroy her life and destroy her flower business. He and says on, he like shits on the flower business on the air. Yes. Uh, she runs out of money. Too many thorns, I believe, was his main criticism. Yeah, he, he, was, he said like, sorry, the episode, it was a little bit late. It took me a while to get on the air. My fingers are all cut up because of the thorny flowers I got. He's like, did, did they add thorns to the flowers? You know, like, I didn't know sunflowers had thorns. So now people are scared of even going to her shop. I guess one character we haven't talked about. The producer of the Dr. Bob show. The producer yeah. of the Dr. Bob show who gives him, is, is like, all her one, Sandy on the air, she's having problems with her husband, kind of sets him up on the show. Maybe she has a crush on Dr. Bob, and maybe... She's the one ruining Sandy's life. Yeah. she's a, Well, she's a red herring. Mm-hmm. She's the Roz of the office. Mm. And then, you know, as is the case with a lot of these erotic thrillers, there's a lot of, like, real desperate excuses for nudity. So, like, when we meet her, she's in her office alone. Yeah. She takes a sip of coffee, spills it on her white blouse. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, well, we're getting a little... Not wearing a bra. Not wearing a bra. But then removes the blouse, changes into a sweater that's in her desk. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with the film. This is just a woman in her office changing her shirt. To do some work for the movie. Because she's got Dr. Bob coming through the speakers in her office. Yeah. Because the show is airing as she's like drinking. I think like, and maybe she, they just didn't go with this or they didn't care. I assume she was supposed to be like kind of, you're supposed to think she's so into Dr. Bob. Yeah. That she's nervous and spills the coffee and maybe titillated by his weird-ass voice. Right. Which, again, is presented yeah, sexy, sophisticated voice when it sounds like a weird kind of, like, British Yoda. Yeah, and you can't really see... She's not a strong enough actress to suggest what she's feeling. You know, she really... She's listening to this guy's voice, takes her shirt off, sits there for several minutes topless in a, in a workplace, yeah. then puts her shirt on, and... 
the actress, let, let's call it what it is. We, we do a lot of talk about Nepo babies lately. Yeah. This is the daughter of Danny Aiello, Maggie yeah. Aiello. She never acted again. It was a favor. She's not good. She, and, and let's be real. No disrespect yeah. and RIP to Maggie, but she looks a lot like Danny Aiello. Yeah. To, be the, to be kind of the sex bot uh-huh. character, she looks a lot like Danny Aiello. Particularly in the face. I would say particularly in the body. So I guess we'll agree to disagree, but we'll agree on this. She looks just like Danny Aiello. <laughs> We're presenting it as sexier than it is. But it is. She's I, also. I'm like, not trying to. Yeah. I don't find Danny Aiello sexy. I hope I'm suggesting that I don't find this woman. But like sexy. spilling on herself, we're kind of like if you're just imagining what that's like, you probably sure. think it's this pretty. But she's unattractive, and I hate to be mean and judgmental, but I also got like pill energy, and I thought it was an acting choice. Pill energy, like she's popping down. Oh, okay, sure. Well, when she's called upon to be scared. That's when she really seems pilled out. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, horrible things happen to her in this movie, and her reaction is yeah. always like, uh. Now, that being said, uh, that being said, yes. it makes her a great red herring because you don't know what the fuck's going on with her. That's true. And a good character. Fun character. We get a good meeting between, um, like, when we finally realize that she is not the, she is a red herring, yeah. and that Dr. Bob is crazy is when uh, Sandy goes to see Claudia and is like, hey, can you tell like Dr. Bob to knock it off? Like yeah. he's ruining my business. He's ruining my life. I've been going on dates and he's telling them I have STDs. Like he's fucking killing me here. Right. And she's like, this has actually happened before. And like, I've, I, like we, we've like had to straighten him out before. We just couldn't do anything because the ratings of the show are so big and they yeah. kind of like press on like, oh, the real bad guy are like the fucking studio right. and we, the audience, we're the ones keeping this. It's a little bit of fucking like Catholic church, like yeah. brush it under the fucking rug kind of shit. The, and she's like, I'll stop it. Don't worry. And she confronts Bob and is like, you're doing it again. Leave Sandy alone. And he's like, I will, of course. And you know she's dead as soon as she does. She's like, just knock it off so I don't have to tell the studio. Right. Right. And get the show canceled. Right. And that's when, like, you know, you get the close-up on Dr. Bob and the light bulb goes off and you know she's fucking toast. And he kills her in the most brutal way where, like, I don't know. First he says, it's not going to be the studio, babe. You're canceled. Okay, standard 80s, 90s wisecrack for one of mm. these things. But then you're right. The killing is so brutal that you don't really get the wisecrack. It goes on and on and on and just like playing with the the, the insides and stuff. It's like the, the violence is so off kilter with the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I feel that way about the sex too. You know, like... It's like you're just watching like graph. It's the sound of the sex. The like this, you hear things in this you don't normally hear. Again, the Foley work is fucking weird. What I have been told, like from the, the, again, we did like slight research. I'm not going to say I'm an expert on this movie or anything. Yeah. But like just to talk about on the podcast that I did like remedial. As I understand it, they submitted the movie. Mm-hmm. It got a PG-13, and everybody okay. fucking panicked. Because it was supposed to be an erotic Yes. Yeah. So then they overshot it, yeah. and they didn't have enough 
actual sex footage to like yeah. add any more. So that's why they went crazy with the noises. And they're like, they got creative. And I heard the noises were so graphic that then when they resubmitted it, it got an X. Yeah, it did. NC-17, whatever it was at the time, just for sex noises, yeah. which is unheard of. So then they took some of those sex noises out, and but then everything was too far along, and they had to replace them like with weird like pots clanging, yeah, and um, like uh, traffic noise, and like the cuts to the trains going into tunnels. It's like that's naked gun shit. You know, we don't need to do that in the serious film. By the way, the jacuzzi is outside. Yeah, if you haven't watched the movie, which again is the longest sex scene, not the only, but the longest. So we're going to be talking about it. It is yeah. outside at night. Yeah. And the amount, of, like, they're fucking wild animals in L.A. It's true. And it's bizarre when you're from the East Coast. Right. But it's a fact. And they overplay it. It's like Ace Ventura type shit. Like, they have every animal out there making noise. Yeah. And they cut to a couple animal reactions. Now, they're trying to be funny there. It just doesn't work. They do the thing with the, you know, the cartoon white eyes blinking in the darkness, like watching them at first and, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. But but it's also not, they didn't shoot that. Right. It's stock footage. So it feels fucking weird. It's like the comedy attempts in this. So when the sex scene starts, and this is one of, one of the more famous scenes of the movie, but he is fucking her for a couple of minutes and we're tied on his face. Genitals not lining up, by the way. Right. And then you find out why, because we reveal that he's having sex with one of the jets of the hot tub. And she goes, um, you who Dr. Bob over here. Now, again, I was shocked attempt, they left that in. Somebody should have stepped in. Now, with a running time of 73 minutes, you got to kind of pad it up. We've all seen jacuzzi jets. That. Like, are we supposed to think his dick is that fucking small? Again, why why have your romantic hero Fuck emasculated like yes. that? It's just bad news. It's stupid, but they're trying to be funny. It doesn't work. Doesn't work at all. Then the fact that he comes in the jet, mm -hmm. and then we have to wait for him to get hard yeah, again. Yeah, we need the refractory Seemingly in period. real time. He's yeah. sit, these two are sitting in an unfilled jacuzzi, and he's doing that overhand downstroke trying to get his dick hard. It goes it, yeah. on and on and on, and she's just watching him. Just they don't like, show his cock, like they, but like they do. They show enough. They it's the boogie nights thing where you know yeah. the hands going out of frame, but you know what's going on. And again, this is mixed with a body double. There's a lot going on. All that being said, can we talk about the look of the film? Because I do think, despite all that, it's a beautiful film. Like just visually, if you like, take the sound stuff out. You know, I'll even say the score is pretty fucking rock solid. And who did the score again? The score was by... Marcucci Alamato. Marcucci Alamato. So this was sort of him kind of bringing his... He was like Battle of Menti. The poor man's Battle of Menti. Yeah. From, the, from David Lynch's stuff, yeah. the Twin Peaks guy. Yeah. And yeah, he's got a cool... It's weird. Vibe. It's like, it's a it's synthy... Um, but a little bit more orchestral synth rather yeah. than like pulsating like dance. Yes. Or like creepy kind of John Carpenter stuff. I didn't love him scatting over that sex scene in the uh I jacuzzi. think they were just throwing whatever they could at the wall and like seeing what would stick. Yeah, the, the scatting didn't stick. Yeah. I mean, for the, for that sex scene being, you know, 
31, 32 minutes of the movie. Yeah. It's certainly not erotic. There are better sex scenes in the film. That sex scene goes on and on and on. As we said, it starts with comedy. The music is wild, but it really feels almost like a like an out of sight type of sex scene. Mm. But that movie was showing you like, you know, they met and now they're having sex and it's going it's out. It's unearned, yeah. This movie just seems poorly it. The let's talk about the 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 finale cuz like I actually think the finale is pretty good. Yeah. The Sandy is having sex with this new she's trying to get over Dr. Bob. You think he's given up and he's he's backed off and she's right. met this new guy and and he's funny and he like seems like everything she she has been looking for and it's like all right, I'm going to sleep with this guy and he's like real shy about it and it's kind of cute and then Dr. Bob busts in, fucking kill, like strangles this guy um, with like a dog leash. Yeah. And the, the, um, luckily, and this is where it gets fucking weird because then Sandy's ex shows up to drop off her shit. Mm-hmm. So he would have interrupted her having sex with this fucking new guy anyway. Yes. And instead he comes in on this fucking bloodbath. Yeah. The um now Dr. Bob while he's killing this new guy like I guess oh, I'll set it up a little bit more. They're going to have sex and then they hear the fucking sound of Dr. Bob's radio show. He had turned on the radio and so she's freaked out and it's like did you turn on my radio? He's like no, of course not. Like I'm up here with you. That's a stupid question. And then Dr. Bob because it's like this cool fucking like I don't know late 80s house where there's like a balcony kind of above the bedroom. It's this unrealistic right. architectural wonder. So right. like Dr. Bob's up there on this like- Most second floors in 80s and 90s movies, you're walking up like two spiral staircases. Yeah, they no have No matter like, what the house. Let me, so it's this huge bedroom with, it's almost like an A-frame and like on the tip of the A-frame is, it's almost like an old-fashioned bookcase where they have a swinging ladder and shit. yeah. He's up there like the Phantom of the Opera. And he's got one of those 80s extendable dog leashes, like the retractable dog leashes. He puts around this nerdy new guy's throat. Dr. Bob's blaring from the, the-, the speakers. The ex busts through. They start fighting. And the fucking dead body is right. swinging around. And she gets knocked out the window. She's going to crawl back up. At this point, Dr. Bob is giving the ex the business. He's really fucking them up. seemingly like he's going to actually fuck him i think they imply that he is raping him it's implied like i'd say it goes beyond implied i I mean they are in a like it's almost like greco-roman wrestling and yeah and he is it it gets deliverance-esque yeah i'm glad they gave sandy the kill that she kills dr bob right and she of course uses uh, the gift that the husband, that her ex-husband gave her for their anniversary that um, like they were fucking over, which is this like weird uh, like Viking statue. Yes. And uh, so it's got like a Viking on uh, like a long ship with horns. Yes. And <laughs> she cracks Dr. Bob while the Dr. Bob shows playing over the air and he keels over dead. Yeah. Pretty action-packed. Very action-packed. A little messy, but... And then the whole time, almost like a tetherball, is the corpse of this new this guy. new character. Just swinging around the room. That we have no allegiance to whatsoever. Right, right. 
other than he's kind of the nerdy guy that she had a crush on at the flower shop, I guess. We see him here and there, but yeah. we don't really give a fuck about him. Yeah. The marketing of this movie, mm. they want to... Do you remember the ads? I don't remember okay. the ads. So what I do remember is Dr. Giggles. You know that horror movie? Of course. Yeah, with the guy from... Uh, Larry uh, Drake. Larry Drake. And it was, the doctor is out, dot, 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 of his mind. <laughs> but Incredible. Two years prior, this Dr. Bob, the tagline of this movie is, the doctor is in, dot, 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 sane. Yeah. You think... No, I don't think. I know doc, the, okay. the filmmakers of Dr. Giggles ripped it off. But the doctor... Still from the best, man. The doctor is in dot, 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 saying is great. However, yeah. if you're going to reveal the doctor's insane... In the marketing. At minute 68 of yeah. a 72-minute movie... You can't do, you, Maybe you don't make that the tagline. Yeah. It took a lot of the suspense out of yeah. it for me, personally. But I think it's got to be something about like how someone's after Sandy and like, leave the mystery of who it is. Right, exactly. This also came out around the same time as Straight Talk, which was yes, Dolly the, Parton as a sassy radio host. Not that was a comedy; it didn't go well, into well. And then uh, there was the Bogosian um, talk Oliver radio, Stone talk radio, yeah. right? Or also around this time, I feel like. Yeah, it was. It's it's weird, and Frasier and everything else. You know, now you can't even imagine outside of like Stern and Joe Rogan there being, you know, one of these guys that has any hold on on the people at all mm. but well i mean look at what we're doing right now man that's true we're in the world of talk radio maybe it was ahead of its time and maybe a couple of nice young ladies will get obsessed with us hey stranger things have happened <laughs> yeah thanks for watching it with me and of course hopefully you know next time i get a good uh griffin torre movie in the mix I'll, I'll bring it over please i would love to watch it anything you want to plug uh, I have a horror movie podcast. We'll see you in hell. We got a bunch of free ones on iTunes, but currently, and for the last few years, we're Patreon only. Me and the comic Joe DeRosa discussing horror films, and it's a good show. Great. And I'm available to do it whenever, you know. We don't have guests. I, I feel bad about that, but we really don't. No, it's all right. So we just, nah. you know. No, it's a pain in the ass. I, I, we don't on the action. <laughs> we had one guest, Mr. Dana Gould. I think just like drunk at a bar, Joe asked him, and we were like, well, all right, great. And he was great. Our guests don't realize on, on the Action Boys podcast, a podcast I do with John Gibbs yeah. and, and Ryan Stanger, there, it runs so long yes. that we tell it's like it's going to be a couple hours and they're like oh sure and then they don't realize we're serious yeah and like a couple hours and it's like i gotta get the fuck out of here so we stopped having guests i used to do the gilmore guys okay which was a huge podcast i did one i yeah. was their most hated guest of all Whoa. time i believe did you shit on the show yeah oh yeah i was kind of beloved and i kind of shat on the show too but with love i love those guys i love the show but i did one that was like 2 30 2 mm. hours 30 minutes and i was like wow, you guys really talk about this fucking show. Then I did one called uh, Bunheads Bros, like the spinoff. When oh, they, wow. Because they kept going. They were making money, so they were like, let's talk about Bunheads now. Mm -hmm. That one lasted four hours, and I eventually exploded. I don't even know if it aired or if they cut it, but I was like, this is ridiculous. And four I, hours? I was like, I'm leaving. I made it funny. I wasn't right. mad at them or something, but I once I crossed four hours, I lost my yeah, mind. Yeah, that's tough. Um, all right well this was a reasonable length yeah yeah we keep it tight and that's what keep you want a podcast keep, yeah i mean I you'll be like in itunes under reasonable length
And that is the show. Thanks so much to Pat. Thank you for tuning in. Garage Tapes will be back next week with a brand new guest. And hopefully you too. Until then, this is Ben Rogers coming to you from the video van. Keep fucking that chicken and let's all get home safe.